Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Social Jello with Angelo. Uh, today, I'm interviewing Mark Stewart. Did I get that right? Yes, sir. All right, cool. Um, as usual, uh, today's, oh, not as usual, I should probably say, today's episode is about hearing about Mark's martial arts journey, and uh, that's what we're here for. Uh, one thing I want to say to my Kajukembo Ohana, uh, Mark is not a Kajukembo martial arts practitioner, but he has worked with Kajukembo martial arts practitioners in the past, which is why he's on the show. And uh, without further ado, Mark, thanks for being on the show, man. Very welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. So, um, as I mentioned really briefly, you're, you're not a Kajukembo guy. What martial art do you practice? Um, actually, the best way to say that, I practice martial art. <laughs> but, but, um, but, yeah, I mean, I can start with my background. I think that's the best way to approach it. Um, I started way back in the uh, February of 1874. <laughs> <laughs> No, but close. It was 1974, 1974. And um, I remember seeing a James Bond movie called um, You Only Live Twice. It's the one where it takes place in Japan, right? And they were on the island and they had all the ninjas and stuff and uh, Masoyama's uh, Kyokushinku guys and all that were there. So that's kind of where I got the bug, I think. I mean, I had seen, um, you know, the Green Hornet and that stuff on TV, but I was a fan of the Batman show, so I didn't really get into the Green Hornet too much, but, you know, I was pretty cool when Bruce Lee was kicking ass and doing all the stuff on that, but, um, so, and then, of course, the Kung Fu television series came out with David Carradine in, um, I think, 73 or 74, I don't recall, but anyway, I started Karate in Kalamazoo, Michigan, that's where I'm from, and um, it's Okinawan Karate, but originally it's a Chinese system from Fujian province. Um, uh, it was referred to by the Okinawans as Pangai Noon. And basically it was a tiger, dragon, and crane Fujian fists. And uh, so I started with that. Um, but, well, I mean, I still do it. I became a fifth down, go down. And um, then I became a point fighter, point karate. Then I became a kickboxer. Uh, this is all still in the Midwest. Um, then I started um, learning Arnis, Filipino martial arts and Wing Chun. Uh, then I moved to the West Coast where everything really happened. Uh, I moved to San Diego, but I was commuting up to Los Angeles on the weekends and training with Randy Williams in Wing Chun and um, training with uh, my buddy Louis Campos in um, in Bruce Lee's martial art, uh, Jun Fan Gong Fu, uh, Jeet Kune Do, uh, and various other things. And then eventually I moved up to Los Angeles and started at the Inosanto Academy and um, was training primarily with Ted Lukai Lukai, who um, his family has a Kaju Kembo background. He also studied a little bit of Kaju as well. They, they grew up in Hawaii, so they have the Hawaii connection. And uh, I think uh, Ramos was the name of the instructor. I don't remember the first name. I should have prepared myself, but um, this was in San Pedro. They pronounce it San Pedro, San Pedro. But uh, it, he was a well-known Kajukembo dude, uh, something Ramos. Are, are, you thinking, are, you, are you talking about Tony Ramos? Yes, Tony Ramos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, Tony Ramos. So the, uh, the Lukai Lukai, uh, the father and the son trained with Tony Ramos. But their uncles, too, back in Hawaii, were all Kaju Kembo people as well. Oh, okay. So there's, yeah. that, there's that Kaju Kembo connection. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And um, so, so I started primarily training with uh, Ted Lukai Lukai and uh, was doing Lukai Lukai Kali and, um, and again, Bruce Lee's martial arts, Jeet Kune Do. And um, uh, Ted was also big into um, Wing Chun as well. Um, so Wing Chun is kind of, you know, it's separate from JKD. I mean, they kind of have a love-hate relationship going on. <laughs> But but I'm I'm into all of it, so I have none of that love hate shit going on. And um, so what happened next? Uh, I continued to kickbox. I continued to research and develop and train and cross train and things like that. And then, but uh, Ted Lukai Lukai passed away in 1996, and I started training with um, Ted Wong, who was Bruce Lee's last private student. And that particular version you could say of Jeet Kune Do was the latter stage material where there was less and less of the Wing Chun influence and more of what I call fence boxing or um, but applied to kicking and punching and all tools and all targets but it was almost the western martial art to be honest with you it was Bruce Lee's baby and um, so that's the dire direction Ted Wong took it into um, he passed away in 2010 and um, since that time, um, just doing doing my thing. I, you know, I before the COVID, I had a worldwide seminar tour that I went on, um, including Australia, Europe, Southeast Asia, uh, U.S. of course, and da da dee da da. But now, now I'm stuck here, and I ride my bike every day for five hours. But it's fun. It's a great place to be stuck. So yeah, I live in Thailand, by the way. Yeah, I live in Satahip, Thailand. So, oh yeah, and one more thing, I'll, I'll end it right here, but my latest, my latest project, okay, and it's kind of connected to Kaju Kembo, but it's because it comes from the same family, is, uh, is a Kuntao, and Kuntao is a Chinese word that um, it means basically, it, it means fist way, but it's just another word like Gong Fu or Chuan Fa or um, Kempo or any of those names that describe that Chinese root. And so I'm busy on putting my Kuntao curriculum uh, together now. And that's my latest thing that I'm up to. And that's it. I'll shut up. <laughs> that's no worries. Actually, an element of my show that I've never outright said, but I probably should start saying, is uh, is the psychology behind it. I have a master's in psychology. So I'm always looking at things from the lens of psychology and social psychology and the dynamics yep. between uh, the individual and the societies and how they interact. So like one of the first questions that I come up real quick, um, I guess my first question, how old were you when you were doing Okinawan Karate? I started at 14 years old. 14 years old, okay, in the Midwest. Yeah. So you're, you're doing Okinawan Karate, you're doing Point Karate. How, what were your thoughts? Like, did you, and you didn't do anything before this. You just went, watch James Bond, watch some movies, um, Okinawan Karate. That's a damn good question. In reality, I was always interested in fighting. So, um, you know, our little gang of kids and everything, basically it, uh, the way we would fight when we got into fights, whether it was play fighting or real fighting, uh, was kind of a mix between uh, boxing, wrestling, and American football with dirty tactics. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I was interested in fighting before I was interested in martial arts, but uh, that soon changed, yeah. And as, so as, as a kid, um, you... you uh your friends, you and your friends and, you know, at school, a few like school, like school, what's the word I'm looking for? 
I've been in Japan too long. I'm forgetting English. <laughs> a few, yeah, a few, school, a few school fights, school school a few school fights. You know, like uh, oh, yeah, of course. Few tussles, few tussles course, here and there. Of course, of course, of course. And um, and then and then eventually walk into your first first Okinawan karate school. What was yeah. your impression? You're 14. You're walking into this place. You see a bunch of people wearing uh, dogies. Any person who doesn't know what a dogie is, it looks like a giant white pajama. And yep. you wear it, you wear it with a with a belt. It's a little thicker than your average pajama, so it doesn't rip. But that's what it looks like. Um, <laughs> what What was your impression of this? How, how well, as a kid, as a teenager coming in, what, what were your thoughts? Uh, the formality of it all was really appealing to me because, I mean, actually, I was kind of rebellious. It was that Vietnam War era and stuff, and I had long hair like I do now again. And uh, so we were all into the hippie thing and rebelling against everything. But somehow, to that form of um, how would you say formality and almost military kind of approach um, was appealing to me. And I remember the smell. I remember this because back then the geese were actually canvas. They were that really thick cotton and they have that really unique smell. Right. And so that's like one of my first memories. I went with my dad and to sign up and, uh, and I asked the sensei, I said, so how long before I learned to do a flying sidekick. And he goes, it's better to keep your, your feet on the ground, son. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so again, um, coming in from that era, right? You, you, it's a really, especially karate, right? It's a really strict hierarchy system. You yeah. start training. What was that transition like from training in the dojo to doing point karate? Like, how did you, in your, what, what made you decide to start competing in point karate? Um, well, I think I was into athletics before martial arts. And so I was into that empirical process of uh, testing yourself, competing for lack of a better term. So you're either fighting on the street or you're competing or maybe a little bit of both, you know, not too much, not too much. I mean, later on, I got into bar fights and that kind of shit, worked the door and stuff, but um, so back to the point, um, the point of point fighting was, uh, yeah, I just needed to test it somehow. But, you know, it was really contrasting because the point fighting style really is its own style. Um, you don't really get to the chance to express your traditional martial art and point fighting. Um, so it was kind of doing two th separate things at the same time. And for those of you who are listening that don't know what I'm talking about, that aren't martial artists, uh, Point style sparring, karate sparring. Uh, maybe you've seen it in the Olympics this year. The uh, it has to do with getting a point by striking lightly, big emphasis on lightly to the face, and uh, a strike to the body. And there's a point system that's put together off either punching or kicking to the body or to the face. And um, it's usually done light contact with smaller gloves. Um, if it's that's the kind of style the system he's talking about. So you, you, you did the point sparring and then somewhere along the line, you got into kickboxing. So I kind of want to find out how was the kickboxing being offered at your school or did you end up going somewhere else? No, I was training with some boxing folks and then uh, traveling about an hour's drive uh, each way to, to go to a kickboxing gym. Uh, I was living in Kalamazoo, so I would drive to Grand Rapids to train. Um, then I just found sparring partners locally as well. So you know, for lack of better terms, it was karate kicks and uh, boxing punches. Um, but yeah, again, I needed to intensify the test. The point fighting was fun, but it's not really what I wanted. 
by the way, the point fighting we did, at least at black belt in the black belt categories, we were hitting hard. <laughs> but uh, in the lower divisions, they would normally have the controlled punches like you were suggesting. But yeah, I, I needed, you know, by that time I started getting into the Bruce Lee thing and the Dao Jeet Kune Do book was out and he talked about full contact fighting. I had read, read some articles in Black Belt Magazine about um, this new thing called full contact and I had to be a part of it. I had to do it, you know. So you went to this kickboxing gym and at the kickboxing gym, what were your first thoughts when you first did kickboxing for the first time? You've been doing Okinawa and Karate for a long time. You did the point sparring. What were some of the things that you noticed when you got into kickboxing? You had to have excellent stamina and physical conditioning. The first thing, in fact, the first three fights I lost, and all of them were based because I simply was not in good enough shape. I remember uh, puking, throwing up after the first fight, you know. And so you, if you need, if you stick with it, you have to you have to put your road work in. You have to run stairs, hills, jump rope, you know, the whole thing. And so that's the biggest thing because it's continuous. It's not fight one point, flat, uh, flash the flags from the judges. You're fighting the entire time that you're in the ring. You know. Yeah. And so you you did that for a while. How was uh? What was the kickboxing like? I mean, I, I know what where kickboxing is now, but what, what were the rule sets for kickboxing back then? Like, what, what did the gear look like? Well, in the Midwest, we, we, we did the PKA rules, which was just kicking above the waist. So there were no leg kicks in PKA. Um, so it was, you know, any hand techniques, including spinning back fist and then kicking to the body and the head. Uh, it was I fought amateur. It was three three round uh, matches, and of course you could knock the guy out as well, right? And um, so yeah, that, that's basically what it was in, in the Midwest. When I moved to California in '86, uh, it was all included the kicks to the leg, so it was a little bit more like Muay Thai, but not with the elbows. And um, so I I graduated over to that style of fighting out on the West Coast. I, my my record is fifteen five and one, and my last fight was in uh, nineteen ninety four ninety four ninety six. I don't remember which one. All right, and you so you went to the West Coast. You yeah. started competing in kickboxing there. Yep. And that's where you ended up starting to do the. Uh, you started working on the uh, with with some with some JKD guys. Is that? Yeah, correct. Yep. All right. And so you already read the the Tao of Jeet Kune Do at that point. So you already had some ideas of what you wanted to do. What were your thoughts when you walked into the first uh, JKD spot? Um, actually, I was a bit disappointed <laughs> because what had happened is that um, after after Bruce Lee passed away and Dan and Santos started teaching in his backyard, okay, that was the original group that was from LA Chinatown, Bruce's last school, and then uh, Dan taught in his backyard. But anyway, they op they opened their first gym in Torrance, California. It was called the Kali Academy, and uh, that had a really hardcore reputation as full contact fighting and, you know, and all that, that thing that I was appealing to me. 
And uh, so I missed out on that. I really went, planned to go out there in 1978 after graduating from high school in 77, but it took me to 86. And by that time, the hardcore nature of it kind of calmed down. I think mainly because of people getting law, uh, threatening lawsuits and that kind of thing. And the US became the land of the lawsuit and everything involved a lawyer. So that's how I look at it. So I kind of just missed out on the era. Um, but I became a private student of Ted Lukai Lukai. And at his, at his class every Saturday, we did spar all the time, every time on, during a three hour session. Okay, it was about, about one third of what we did was always sparring with whether it was uh, kickboxing or whether it was a stick or a knife. And, um, but yeah, th that's about it. So I was a little bit disappointed. What was interesting was, um, this is what they refer, Dan Anasanto's school, he referred to Jeet Kando's Jeet Kando concepts. And that's different than the original Jeet Kando. Uh, the concepts is the idea of cross training in a number of different styles at the same time. And you kind of finding your own personal method, okay? So that's not exactly what Jeet Kune Do is. But regardless, it's like the flip side of the coin, okay? So it was really interesting, but very, very complicated training. And that type of training really did not fit me too well. I, I prefer a simpler, more realistic approach, just my own personality. Not that people don't get good at it or that's, that it's a bad thing, and, but it's just not my cup of tea. All right. And so you did that for a bit and then you ended up with, uh, is that, is that, and that's different, that's different from the Ted Wong JKD? Yeah, the Ted Wong JKD is, is original, but it would be that latter stage of Bruce Lee's development. So and all Ted's training was private training with Bruce in his backyard in Bel Air uh, when Bruce had some bucks still <laughs> before he moved to Hong Kong. And uh, so, so anyway, when Bruce Lee passed away, Ted Wong just followed that direction that uh, his friend left him with. And he didn't cross train in a number of different systems or try to add on things. He just took it in the direction of uh, fencing and old school boxing uh, methods applied to all tools, all targets. And so at this point, you worked with Ted Wong for a bit and then you decided, and this whole time you, you kept competing in kickboxing, is that correct? No, oh, Ted Wong, I didn't start with him till 97. Oh, okay. So that was, that was, so, this so was that's after, after my last fight. Yeah, but yeah. I, was, I was contemplating doing something again, but it just never worked out. I mean, in regard to competition, I was too old. Come on, you know, you, yeah. gotta, be for, you gotta be for real, you know? But I wanted, yeah. to, do, I wanted to do Sansal, you know, oh, okay. with the takedowns. I wanted to do shoot boxing, which is in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so those kind of things I still wanted to experience, but yeah, it didn't happen, you know. Okay. So, what um, did you pursue a professional kickboxing career, or, or were you? No, or did never, you did. never did. Never did. But, but I did fight internationally. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. In fact, cool. I fought the world champion in Savat in in France. Oh, oh wow! Yeah. Wow. wow. He, he did win the fight, but I did a damn good job before he got me. <laughs> so so again um and i i think it's i think it's important to say that so like some people think that especially now with social media like they, they feel that the path of a martial artist is imprinted in in championships and a career and there's actually multiple paths and i, I would say after doing this for as long as i've done it 
about maybe 90% of the martial artists I've met have their own lives, jobs, careers, and then they have their martial arts that they do that sometimes turns into a career, sometimes it doesn't, but they have their yep. own life. And then there's a 10% that have a whole career yep. based in martial arts. Um, I mean, my, my career since 1992 has been teaching martial arts. Oh, cool. cool. So again, so, you're, so you're, your career is still part of the martial arts career path, which is, again, rare. I would say like 10% of people make a whole career just teaching martial arts. Yeah, there's not really a lot of money in it, to be honest with you. Yeah, but... I, I guess, mean, it can, it can be if you do some, some things, but for me, it was a multi-genre. In other words, I taught law enforcement, military, kids, disabled people, fighters, criminals. <laughs> some, of my best, some of my best friends are cops, some are criminals. And, you know, they still have a beer together, you know, no problem. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's true. That, uh, you, you never know who's going to come into your school. Right? <laughs> so well, like, I mean, maybe criminals is a strong word, but scoundrels for damn sure. <laughs> but again, what, what, I, what, uh, what I'm trying to clarify is how, um, again, like a lot of people feel, and again, not, not to say, because I've had all kinds of people on the show, I have had your career path martial arts instructor and or martial and fighter that had that kind of life. Um, and Kaja Kembo, in our circle, uh, my instructor and all the people I knew, they loved martial arts. But as you said, it's it's kind of hard to make a whole career out of it. And it's very commendable yeah. to the people that do do that. But as you know, I think art, uh, artists always struggle of, with <laughs> with that. Hey, once you have I, art I, involved, it's always, it's always that yeah. struggle of trying to get your art yeah. and do what you want to do and express your art. And, and this, this, this goes almost beyond martial arts, but just art in general, yeah. uh, entertainment, entertainers, musicians, there's always this point where you have your art that you love, that you want to express. And then there's the money and it's really uh, challenging to make those two things coincide. I've, <laughs> I've been a starving artist for most of the martial arts career. Yeah. Okay. But where I did the best was right before I moved to Thailand and Los Angeles, I had my school in Chinatown. I was teaching at UC, USC, UCLA, Cal State Long Beach, Mount San Antonio College, actually about eight universities or colleges. I was teaching fitness kickboxing, which were heavy bag workouts at fitness centers. I was teaching like about 30 hours a week and I was pulling in some good bread, but I was working my butt off too, yeah. you know? So I go, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to work this hard, you know? <laughs> So yeah, like that, 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 that's, I think that's the thing though. Like, I um, one of the things that I feel nowadays, and I, I love, I love MMA. Um, I, I, I like, I love the UFC venues and stuff. But one of the things that I've seen it, it has done for a lot of the younger generation is, a lot of these kids have a different impression of what the outcome should be of being a martial artist or like uh, of, of living a martial arts. Like I have, it's totally different from when MMA started and I have people coming in now saying, I want to do MMA and they have like a completely different mindset of what that's going to have for them compared to maybe someone like you who came in a few school tussles, as you said, Gendo, Kino and Karate, more about personal development. There was no, when you started, and I know even though I started much later than you, even when I started, 
there wasn't a very clear career path there there wasn't uh, fighters martial artists weren't make weren't getting weren't getting uh like what was what was the, what was conor mcgregor's last fight i think it was 200 million yeah, because yeah. He, he he talked a bunch of shit with yeah. uh with floyd mayweather, mayweather and, yeah. and he got like there was no he's one of the first I, I don't know if he's the first, but he's from from what I know, I de- I'm per- I, I think I'm safe in saying he's definitely made the most money. That didn't exist like that. That was not even a close. I wouldn't even fathom if you would have told me when I started that, hey, you can talk a bunch of shit to a pro boxer as a, as a, as a martial artist and get a $200 million fight, win or lose. Like that wasn't even on the table. So I, my mindset when I got into it, I saw the UFC – when I saw the first UFC fights, they were they were like on VHS uh, with the Gracies, and it wasn't for the money. It looked very much like a blood sport, and it looked yeah. like it, it didn't really look like something that there was a career there. It was just like, all right, well, you go here to prove yourself to these other martial artists that you can do it. But I don't. No one even mentioned any money, so like <laughs> it's kind of strange. Now the new generation comes in with that with that a total different like mindset. Like, hey, there's money to be made. And I kind of want to go this track. So I, I think it's it's important to let people know that there's still a lot of the martial artists that get into it that has nothing to do with that path. And that, that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, you know, well, one of, one of the things that was appealing to me was philosophy. Um, I mean, I, I right away I got into the whole Zen and Taoist thing, you know, and Jay Krishnamurti and, and all of that kind of thing. Miyamoto Musashi's Book of Five Rings, you know. That's the bread and butter stuff for me. And as you develop that stuff, you started developing your own martial art, which I have a note here that you referred to as Kunta. I wouldn't call it my own martial art, but it's definitely a a category of martial arts. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, Ted Ted Lukai Lukai's what they call Mano Mano, um, which is kind of bastardized Spanish and Filipino. dialect i think it's tagalog i'm not sure it could be something else but anyway um yeah it was already in the lukai lukai's method the kuntao which is the chinese influence to to weapon centric empty hand martial arts if that makes any sense to you you know when i say weapon centric what i mean i'm gonna let you explain it Uh, my if i would try to guess if it's weapon centric empty hand martial arts i'm guessing uh disarms is that what you're trying to get at uh, well, that's that's one that's one half that one side of the coin is um, dealing with someone with a weapon, but the other side of the coin is using your tools as if they were weapons. Oh. Yeah, so it's th- it's that approach, and uh, it just happened that his mano mano was primarily kuntao, so I would call it uh, um, kuntao kali silat. Um, there's a little bit of silat in regards to some uh, really devastating kind of uh, takedowns and sweeps but yeah and so and the whole fact that I started with Weichiru which came from Fujian province China it was just unfinished business with me to complete this and uh, you know and I'm pretty much devoting a lot of time now to research and development in, in regard to that and you ended up in the seminar circuit like you mentioned you were doing these seminars how do you end up in the seminar circuit I started doing that when I had my school in Chinatown. That's why I was coming to Japan. And I started, well, actually my first international teaching assignment was in Singapore in 1989. 
And then nothing really after that till around, yeah, 93 and 94. 93, I went to Singapore. 94, I went to Japan. Uh, I went to Thailand just to train Muay Thai. And then I went to Singapore again, went to Malaysia to do a TV show on Filipino martial arts. It was a, a martial arts TV show called Mahaguru. And uh, that was cool. And um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of when I started the seminar thing. And then in the 90s, I was doing California in the Midwest also on a yearly basis. Yeah. And what you were teaching, what were you teaching at the seminars? JKD and Kali. Okay, JKD and Kali. And how, so obviously, you continue to be in the JKD circle. You're, you're still in the JKD circle now, if, if I'm- Yeah, if I'm I, I still teach. Um, I mean, hopefully next year, I'll be back out on the road again, doing everything that I normally do. Yeah, Or whenever, whenever that happens, you know. And how did you get involved in the seminar circuit? Was it something like you called a number? Did someone approach you? How did that happen? No, I just did it. I said, I'll be here, show up. <laughs> All right, cool. So. So could you give me a little, do you mind sharing a little more details, like how that happened or? Who you uh, well, I guess, or? I mean, originally, okay, I'll go back to the Singapore. In Singapore, my Wing Chun Sifu, Randy Williams, moved there and was teaching there. So I stayed with him for a month in Singapore, and he was kind enough to allow me to teach Filipino martial arts to his Wing Chun students. And he had 100 students at the time. Oh, and um, so that was my first taste of it. So that wasn't actually a seminar, it was just international teaching. But then I started writing articles, um, magazine articles, articles for Inside Kung Fu Magazine and Inside Karate. And um, so I became somewhat of a glitterazzi kind of dude, you know? Well, just known, I was known, I was an author, right? And I was on the cover a couple of times and did videotapes for that. And so then people started hitting me up to travel to do seminars. Okay. And, yeah. and how did you end up getting an inside Kung Fu? Did you just like write an article? Did you contact an editor? How, how did that, how did that process um, work? That, that was another connection. Everything in my life is based on a connection with, with friends. Okay. That's okay. just the way it works. That's the way it works. I mean, that's only a foot in the door. Okay. To get the rest of the way in the door and not get kicked out. That's based upon what your skills and, charm you may have or not <laughs> right yeah yeah okay uh, so it was randy williams um my wing chun sifu uh that was um all, well known um in re writing articles about wing chun and um he brought me in for as one of the dummies for fo photo sessions and also as um, a partner a, a partner for video for his video series and so I met the, the owner of the magazine and the editors, and they said, well, what, do you do anything else? And I said, yeah, okay, now in karate, kickboxing, and Kali. And so I began to write articles on all those subjects, and that's, that's basically how it rolled. Cool, cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you ended up in that. And then you said that the Singapore, the Singapore teaching, um, a lot of students, sound, sound, sounds, it was kind of like your first experience teaching a large group like that of 100 people? Or? Yeah, definitely. Definitely my, yeah. that and also my introduction to Asia, you know? All right. And what was that like? How, how, what was it like going from reading about 
you know, studying an East, Eastern martial arts, Eastern philosophy, and then finally actually being out in the East. How was that transition for you? I loved it. I was in heaven. I didn't want to go back. I said, I have to move to Asia, you know, and I finally did in 2000. But in the meantime, I would also make trips back as often as possible, you know, because I just loved it, man. And see, at the time in 89, Singapore was still an old-fashioned kind of place. It's not like it is now. Now it's like, whoa. Yeah, no. Super city. Yeah. Have you been to Changi Airport? The airport? I haven't been to Singapore yet. I have friends that are from Singapore. So I see their Facebook posts and Singapore to me just looks a lot like modern Shanghai. Like it's yeah, it's a huge city, metropolitan. Everyone's, well, my friend is, is really rich. So, but from the impression I get from him is that a lot of people in Singapore are pretty well, like they've got a pretty big wealthy, like if you there's, want a to wealth, car, there's a if lot you want of wealthy a, people there. If you want to have a car, you, you do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because like, like, like what I see from him, what I've seen from the martial artists that I've met, um, some people that uh, if there's this thing called Evolve University, and it's it's become a connection to one at one FC championship, yes. one championship, yep, yep. right? So like that, that's the part of Singapore I know of. But what you're explaining, how was Singapore back then? What, what did it look like? What was it like? Well, 89, it was old fashioned. Um, it reminded me what maybe like Hawaii was back in the 60s or something. And uh, so I really liked that a lot. I'm kind of, I like, I like old stuff and new stuff. I'm, I'm, I really enjoy contrasts. Um, but we actually ended up moving to Singapore and living there for two years, my wife and my daughter and I, when my daughter was just one year old. So we spent two years there. I was training law enforcement in Singapore as a full-time job and then teaching my JKD and Kali on the side. I was teaching immigration checkpoints authority, which is like their border patrol kind of thing. And, um, but it had changed drastically from the, from 80, 89 to 93 and 94. It started changing a bit. And then I went back and when did I go? The next trip I went back was like 2004. And then I was hired by, by my friend who had a security company there and, you know, taught the cops. And uh, so we moved there for two years. And then uh, after that, we headed back to Thailand. Yeah. But it, changed, but it changed your point. I mean, it changed into this ultra modern city, but it still has some charm. It still has some old charm. When I go back now, I stay um, at, um, what the hell's the name of it? I can't, I can't remember the area right now, but it's like an old Chinatown area that I stay in. And that's where all the hookers are and shit, you know? <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Not that I participate, but I mean, I, I like being I like being in that shady kind of world. You know? So the this this whole area, like it changed a lot. It used to be more. Now it's a metropolitan city. So you're in Singapore. I'm going to go back to 1986. You're in Singapore. You stayed there for a little bit, and then when you went and did your when did where and when did you do your first seminar, like your official one? Um, but it would be in California. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know where. Gee, that's a damn good question. What was the first one? No, the first one would have been Michigan. Michigan. Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo Michigan at my the original dojo that I came from. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. So you went back. You went back yep. to the Okinawan school. Yep. And wh- when was that? 
You went back to do a seminar on the JKD stuff that you did, did and the- Yeah, yeah, JKD and Kali, yeah. And Kali. Yeah. How did the Okinawan school, because they're very traditional, how did they take in all that? Like uh, know? They were very receptive to it, um, yeah. And so very pleasantly surprised by that. And throughout the years, you know, I continued to do that, yes. Wow, so, and you still, it sounds like throughout this whole journey, you uh as you transitioned to other arts um there uh you kept your network like your connections to the, your previous instructors the relationships you 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 built yeah correct i've intact. kept them all i've kept them all yep. you stayed intact because like um which is really difficult to do with traditional martial arts because a lot of the traditional instructors get pretty upset <laughs> if you go somewhere else and start yeah. training yeah. they're not they're not really they're, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make a generalized statement. Say all of them are like that, but uh, uh, you know, there there are a few instructors out there, especially from the more traditional arts, that don't really like it when students do that. Yeah, typically not. But I've been very, you know, blessed in regard to that. Yeah, I've had no. I have all my relationships with everyone. That's cool. That's yeah, cool. and they become and they become my seminar hosts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a way to work it right there. Yeah, man. <laughs> so you went to Singapore. You did your you did your first seminar. You started getting into the seminar circuit, uh, doing seminars internationally for JK, doing JKD and um, and FMA. Uh, you went from where and how did you end up in Thailand? Uh, well, I came in '94 to um, to train Muay Thai at, at Sidyatong, a very famous Muay Thai camp in Pattaya. That's where we live now for the past um, 16 years is um, uh, in the in the Chonburi province, which is Pattaya is the most famous city. It's the, I think the third largest city in Thailand. First Bangkok, then Chiang Mai up north, then Pattaya. But we don't live in Pattaya. We live in Satahip. We live towards um, heading towards Cambodia. And uh, and that's right on the Gulf of Thailand, the eastern seaboard. So I, I'm like 20 minutes from the beach on my bicycle. Oh, okay. Up in the coastal coastal foothills, it's lovely over here, dude. I never want to leave. So, but anyway, um, so yeah, so I first came in '94 to train Muay Thai, and again I said to myself, oh, "Okay, I gotta move back. Here. I gotta move here," you know. And uh, so it took me till 2000, and um, I met my wife, and you know, I'm here. I have family here, and all that. So you met your wife in 2000. I uh, actually, well, I guess I met her about. 2003 i think it was and then we got oh, married wow. married in 2004 yeah okay so you, you moved to thailand to 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 live there was I, it I opened the gym dude you opened I, had gym. A gym in, I had a gym in bangkok right okay right okay. on the sub right on the um sky train line and what kind of gym did you open there uh jkd and fma fma okay and so you open a gym you came back to Thailand to open a gym in JKD and FMA. Is there yep. any other, was there any other JKD FMA people there or were you the first one? Uh, first one, pretty much. I, oh. I don't think I was the first one to teach there, but I was the first one to open a gym, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, how, and at what kind of programs did you offer at that gym? Uh, well, I had, I had children's class because you can't pay the rent unless you do. Plus, I enjoy teaching kids, to be honest with you, because it's that balance of playfulness and 
and military, you know, and they love that contrast. Um, and of course I had women's um, kickboxing classes and, um, and then Jeet Kune Do and FMA classes separately, mostly adult males, but had a couple of female, two female, females in particular that would, became really, really good at it. One, one of them is an instructor also at instructor level now, Miss mm -hmm. Nikki, Miss Nikki. And uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. I mean, you know, um, from Thai people that some of my, I had Thai students, I had um, uh, British students, French students, um, any Americans? I don't remember if I had the American, a couple of Americans, yeah. And, uh, but they were from everywhere, some Aussies and stuff like that. You know, it, it was quite a mixed group, it was cool. And did any of your students compete out there or did you just mostly? Yeah, uh, some did at an amateur level, yes. Okay, what did they compete? I, I've, never, I've never really had, as much as I've wanted to, be able to train fighters per se in competition. Uh, for some reason, I mean, those people aren't really attracted to JKD and FMA. It's, it's kind of a different world, you know. Um, you, you would have to specifically, I mean, I would, would have specifically had to say Sansao, uh, Muay Thai, or MMA in order to attract that kind of crowd, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's a marketing thing, like. Yeah, it is. It, you know, it's all split up into the genres and people's mentality of, in their mind what they think it is. And they're yeah. usually they're usually wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like that, the thing that you're, you're touching on a really good thing, really good topic here. One, one of the problems I had when I opened my uh, my school out here in Japan was first of all, everyone can pronounce kajukenbo in Japanese, but they had no idea what it meant. And then when I'd explain to them what it meant it made less sense than if I would have just let it go and just <laughs> at the, at the point I'm at now, literally when people call, I just, I don't even, I just, my, my wife used to try to explain over the phone what it was and they'd just come in and be like, okay, I, okay. Sounds good. Can you just teach me boxing then? Cause if, if, if your acronym says karate, jujitsu, kem, kempo, kung fu, bow boxing, kickboxing, I just want to do boxing. So can you tell them to just uh, teach me boxing? And, uh, and she's like, he says, no. <laughs> he says he's not just going to teach you boxing because it's not part of this. It's part of the system, but you need to learn the complete art. So it took forever to get past that point. What we started just telling students was just, just come in, <laughs> like, just, yeah, yeah. just come in. Yeah. If you, if you're scared, just watch a class. If you like what you see, great. If you don't go somewhere else, but, yeah. um, yeah, yeah. but the marketing part was always really difficult because then as you, as you said, if you want to attract fighters, you want to put the marketing thing. So then I called, like right now we have Kaju Kembo Hyoga Japan here, and my my logo says Level Up Gym, and the Level Up Gym was supposed to represent the facility because I have other people that train from other arts there. So the facility was supposed to present kind of an MMA gym, yeah. But uh, because MMA is not that very popular in Japan, I had people asking me about fitness courses. Like <laughs> people started calling me saying, "Hey, I, I want to lose some weight." You know, <laughs> what, what, what recommendations, what kind of what kind of uh, training regimens do you have at this level of gym? And I was like, oh, man, I'm just this is a nightmare. <laughs> so, so how about you, man? How'd that go? You're, you're in Thailand and you're teaching JKD. How did the how did the community how did you get past that? How, how did you explain to people what it was and what kind of people did it end up attracting? I never got past it. <laughs> 
The only thing I had going for me is I was on a number of television shows and got a lot of coverage and some newspaper interviews, magazine interviews. So that was helpful. But the problem with the, with the JKD thing is Bruce Lee. What I mean by that is no disrespect, but they think it's movie shit that they're coming in to learn. You know, that's in their mind, that's what they're thinking. Or number two, they're thinking it's Wing Chun and Chi Sao, blindfolded Chi Sao. Or they're thinking it's uh, cross training in eight different styles at the same time. And the way that I teach it is none of those three at all. <laughs> so yeah, I've never won that battle. You know, I, I don't care anymore. I'm like you. I said, whatever, you, you come on in and it's not for you, then, you know, have a Coke and a smile. <laughs> and don't let them and don't let the door hit you on the way out you know yeah yeah no yeah i've had a yeah yeah that, that it's, it's a challenge but you finally did get a core group though like it oh, yeah. sounds like yeah. you got you have an instructor so like you got to this point where obviously some people understood what you were trying to do and they and they stuck with you and and you kind of got some other people teaching it now too so like yeah correct correct yeah so you, you did get even though you said you didn't get past it in a, in a sense, you kind of did because I, people stuck oh, yeah, around long enough. To, I, yeah, people I stuck around long enough to become an instructor. I didn't, get, I didn't get past it in the sense of being commercially successful. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that um, yeah, that that's that's one of the things I get I get asked that same question a lot being out in Japan, and if you have a style that isn't like like JKD and very similar to Kaju Kembo, if you don't, if you don't, if you have a I hate to even use the word style. Uh, I like to use the word more philosophy or approach or method. If you have that kind of a method, um, people that are more regimented into styles have a harder time figuring things out. Yep. Figuring things out. That's one of the things. And then for competition, uh, it gets even more dicey because then um, I have ended up with fighters and that, that do compete. And the way that works is I have to be very specific as far as like, okay, what do you want to compete in? So now we're going to do, we're going to keep putting you through the curriculum, but if you're going to compete in something, I need to take you to the side and make sure that for your competition, you're practicing the reps that you need to win that sport. Cause that's going to yeah, be the sure. what we're doing, yeah. Yeah. which is just ultimately means more work for you as the instructor. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I mean, since 20, 2010, I basically decided only to teach privates and seminars. That's it. And that's all I've been doing since 2010, privates and seminars. Cool, cool. And then course, you said during, during the COVID thing, it's all been it's online, um, instructional online stuff, you know. Cool. So that, like you were saying, COVID. So when you said COVID made you get stuck in Thailand, you weren't really meaning like you live in Thailand. What you, were, what you were trying to explain was that you can no longer, you're no longer, you're kind of stuck. You can't do your work. Yeah, I can't travel. I can't, can't travel. travel. You can't travel yeah, anymore. But, but I'm all right with that. I mean, it, it's been great. Like I said, I just ride my bicycle to the beach and then up in the hills. And I go out at 4 a.m. when it's still dark. It's a blast, man. Cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So we're almost to the end of our interview here. Yeah. Um, my... One of the questions I always ask people when I when I'm interviewing them about their martial arts journey is let's say someone's listening to this randomly found this YouTube video and they aren't part of my Kajikami community. They're kind of learning a little bit about everything right now with just this one interview. And they're just wondering, hey, 
I'm interested. Now, sign me up. I want to do martial arts. This sounds cool. What would you recommend they look for when joining a place to train? Hmm. That's a damn good question. Well, I would have to answer it upon, well, based on how I would look for one now. Okay. And it would have to be rapport with the instructor. Number one, that on a personal personality basis that I get along with the person. However, to recommend that to everyone, I'm not sure if that's the right way because in retrospect, I don't think that was always the case with me. I didn't necessarily have to get along with the instructor, but I still learned good stuff, right? But at this point, that's how I would approach it. Now, if I'm not, if I don't get on with them and have the same vibe, I'm really not interested, you know? But what I would say is that they really should look beyond what they think that it is. They should really spend some time researching the full spectrum of what it can give us. Philosophy, science, physical fitness, self-defense, uh, uh, cultural enrichment, um, you name it, right? Those things. And if they, if they begin to re research those things, then I think they can find you know, the, the right place to go to. Cool, cool. Yeah. Well, like I said, there's no there's no right or wrong answer to this question. This is something I always ask everyone. Yeah. I, I never I never know who's gonna come across the video, and I think it's pretty cool to I I, I said this to John, uh, one of my one of my other guests, John Hackleman. He <laughs> that I've been trying to find a, a universal theory of martial arts, things that connect philosophies that connect us all. And he, he told me, Good luck on that. But <laughs> one thing I have found, even though, even though it's a good luck on that, I have actually found some luck as far as what you mentioned about repertoire. That, yeah. seems, that seems to be something coming up from a lot of different instructors from different styles, from different backgrounds. Everyone, a lot of them have mentioned repertoire. So like that's, if yeah. anybody's listening to this, uh, there are, not to say there's a right or wrong answer, but when you start hearing a theme between a lot of instructors, that's definitely something you want to start keeping an eye out for. My last, I think, I think you have to trust your instinct, you know? Yeah. 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 As my instructor put it is uh, even if you can learn something from someone you don't like, you're eventually going to get to a point where you're not going to be able to put up with it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> as, yeah. as he said, you, 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 it's about how much of an asshole can you put up with it. Don't yeah. Talk to another. yeah, for sure, man. <laughs> well, Hey man, thanks again for being on the show. I really appreciate that. Um, for you listeners, I use some, I always mention this because it sounds weird because when I record this, there's no music playing. But right now, the wrap-up music is playing. So thank you for checking out Social Jello with Angelo. And uh, as always, I try to bring out two podcasts a month. And the YouTube channel has an array of topics from psychology to martial arts. And I'll catch you all next time. Peace.